Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on Cyberate.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the Cyberate Podcast, we sit down with Catherine Payne, the Director of Talent Management and Organizational Development for Anzu Partners. Speaking with Cyberate's head of people, Katie Wanke, they discuss the difficulties that poor communication can lead to and how creating and maintaining thoughtful business connections can always benefit you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Cyberry Podcast. Uh, I'm Katie. I lead the people team here at Cyberry, and I have a very special guest in the studio with us today. This is Catherine Stickle. And Catherine, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody who you are? Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Catherine. I am currently the Director of Talent Management and Organizational Development uh, for Anzu Partners, which is a venture capital and private equity firm in D.C. Um, I run the functions of kind of talent, org dev, HR for Anzu and for currently 12 of our portfolio companies. Um, I have the good fortune of knowing Katie from our days as coworkers at Mapbox. We ran and led operations and recruiting there with our colleague Bonnie um, for several years, um, kind of in that high growth startup stages. So we got to go through all of the blood, sweat, and lots of tears of that experience, which was really formative for me as a professional. Um, and prior to that, I've been just running operations for software companies um, for my professional career. So thanks for having me here today. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm so excited too. And so if you can't tell, Catherine and I are actually also friends um, based on how much we have gone through (laughs) (laughs) in um, our amazing experience at Mapbox and then just afterward as well. So I'm really excited to have her here um, and just to kind of talk about uh, some of the challenges and some of the unique opportunities that we have working in HR, working in people support, working in organizational development at VC-backed organizations within DC. So um, I think, Catherine, one thing that would be helpful to kind of share with people is um, when you're thinking about starting a company, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're a brand new CEO or, you know, you just got your first little bit of seed cash. Um, thinking back to like all the experience that you've had working with leaders, what is something that you feel like has been not quite a missed opportunity, but something that's a little bit underrated for some CEOs to consider at that early stage as it relates to people? Oh, good. I was going to say. Sorry, that was a long intro there. No, yeah, as it relates. Um, I think the, at those early, early stages, the most important thing I think people don't think about is being creative with your, you want to keep your burn low. And I think being very cautious on hiring um, and bring on more folks as contractors, bring on more folks for trial periods, outsource things if you can. Um, a lot of people assume and think that they need full-time employees and don't calculate the additional cost on the benefits load and don't really f- you know, think about the long-term impact it has on people's lives when you're bringing them onto your team as employees and you can't actually guarantee that you're going to be able to pay them for more than a year. So if you're really early stages and really just taking you know, angel investment or seed, seed cash, um, I, w- I would be much more creative than just thinking you need to bring on full-time employees. Super interesting. Um, also, kind of related to that, too, I... I followed this person on LinkedIn um, who was recently talking about um, he didn't realize that he didn't need an office space for a long time. And is that something that you've seen as well? Like, have you seen some some folks like using some creative ways to actually have a place to work as opposed to paying a lease on a very expensive location, like in a hot location? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, that's another thing we should talk about is, is mm-hmm. geographic location. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yes, of course, you know, startup co-working spaces have been very valuable to a lot of companies. Obviously, the WeWork debacle has been a debacle, but it doesn't mean that there haven't been a ton of companies that have gotten their start in places like that and people who have gotten their start and done important networking in places like that. Um, we currently are, two of our portfolio companies are coming out of a, a spot called Greentown Labs just outside Boston. Um, and they are, they've been there until they've taken their, at least their A round um, before they're moving into to private spaces. Um, and actually, one of the things we're doing in Anzu right now is we have started, we have actually built our, or, or gotten our own office space, and we're going to put five portfolio companies t together there. So the VC's kind of taken that role of saying we're going to organize this and figure out um, the rent. And then we have shared experiences, which is nice for these small portfolio companies, too, because they're actually like the community that that builds is really effective rather than having small portfolio, small companies just going through the same experiences independently and siloed. Um, and having kind of more colleagues, that effective, that's another thing that co-working spaces gives people is that feeling of having kind of more colleagues and more camaraderie. And then sh sharing costs on Wi-Fi and printers and whatever it may be in addition to perhaps in our case at some manufacturing facilities. But certainly have seen a lot of great things come out of co-working spaces. Um, and then on the geographic location piece, I think that um, we have seen a lot of our companies, CEOs come in and think that they want to be in the Bay Area. And we have said, I understand why, but it, it would be, a, it might even be a deal breaker to our ma making the investment in your company if that was uh, something that was a, a mandatory thing for you. Um, the talent market is just so expensive there. Um, we, Katie and I personally, have a lot of friends and colleagues who live in San Francisco who are making a beeline for the exits. Uh, and especially as um, you're seeing folks at, uh, you know, I'm 37, you're 37 also, right? So people at our age are having kids, they're getting married, they're old enough that they're not going out a lot anymore, and they're looking for places where they can buy a house. Um, that's, and that's, we're, we're kind of the class of people that's the director level, VP level, kind of going into that echelon of the leadership. And that's who, you know, I would argue, we always joke, we're the people who do all the work, you know, the kind of the middle level that really uh, holds the companies together and does a ton of the work. So those are the most important people in my estimation to have, that want to work for your company. One of my friends, um, she's the VP of people at Duolingo. Mm -hmm. They're in Pittsburgh. They ran a huge ad. Um, when you land at SFO and you're driving out through Burlingame towards San Francisco, a huge billboard over the over the freeway headed into the city saying, I, I'm going to get this specifically wrong, but saying, like, work in tech, buy a house, live in Pittsburgh, like Duolingo. <laughs> and she saw a huge spike in applications and interest from, and I think they poached the VP of product from Stripe. Like, wow. a, you know, I might have those details wrong, but, you know, they got a huge hire from it. You know, people increasingly are interested in living in moderately priced cities and having houses and lives. And, and again, that's the class of people that I think a lot of, a lot of venture backed companies need the most are those kind of, um, director VP level folks. Um, so I think being creative with geographic location, we have seen our portfolio companies do better when they are in kind of second tier cities. Um, and as from the recruiting perspective, what I, when I'm talking to people and they live in New York and I'm saying, do you want to move to Atlanta? Um, or, you know, Austin or Kansas city or, or things like that. As long as there's a backup option for them in those cities, they're game. Oh, interesting. So okay. They're not going to move to a city where if it doesn't work out, they're screwed. All their eggs in one basket then. Yeah. Yes. And okay. they're not going to, in so many cases, people have 
spouses and children. Mm-hmm. Again, when we're recruiting these these higher level positions. So if, if they can, with a straight face, be able to tell their spouse that if this doesn't work out, there's several other, at least one other option or several other options for me in that city, then it, it's, it's been totally fine. So that's what I, I recommend to our executives when they're thinking about where to put the companies is make sure there's not exactly competitors, but companies where if it didn't work out for these folks, they would be able to, to get their next gig in that city. Super interesting. So when you're talking about um, attracting talent as well, I mean, what is something that you feel as though is like a tool in your back pocket mm-hmm. that you've been able to use like pretty widely within recruitment and just attracting talent? Sure. I mean, it's it's for software engineers, it's hand-to-hand combat. You know, I've learned to not, and I sit in my current role, I have to sit and talk to CEOs about this all day, and they want me to tell them that I have the trick. <laughs> right? Like, I, I figured it out, guys. I got it. Um, but there's no silver bullet, particularly for software engineers. The labor market is just so tight. Um, the best thing that you can do in that case, and in, in coincidentally in every other case, is to have, <clears throat> in my opinion, a strong company identity. Mm-hmm. No matter how big the company is, if it's two people, you have an identity. You are making it possible for candidates to self-select onto your team because they know what the identity is and they know it's going to work for them or it's not. Being clear about that, in my mind, is incredibly effective. And while perhaps it means that you won't hire people because of that, those are the folks that wouldn't work out in the long run. Mm -hmm. So having that kind of clarity and what that means is having, writing down what your company culture is, whether it's two sentences whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be elaborate or fancy or simple, or it can be simple. Um, but what you're kind of what you and your co-founder or, or just you or whomever your originating team is, what are you like? How do you work? You know, there's so many different um, manifestations of that, whether it's like maybe we are mobile people and we can work from home or maybe we love to be in the office together and we really value that kind of um, camaraderie in person. You know, maybe you guys are it runs again. Maybe you're a big drinkers. Maybe you're not big drinkers. Maybe you are people who work 14 hours a day. Maybe you believe strongly in work-life balance and you don't want people to work more than eight hours a day. Whatever it is, just being honest about it and knowing it and having the end of the self-awareness that you need to know about that and making it apparent to people, I think is incredibly valuable. And I think that what people want, and I, I think about this a lot, what especially the best people want is to play like in a t- in a, is to have that identity, like mm-hmm. is to work somewhere where it's more than just a, a job, more than just a nine to five, you know, where, where if you're the type of person who derives too much of your self-worth from work, that has to be, you have to get that from your job. I kind of correlate it to romantic relationships a lot too, but there has to be that kind of, the attraction has to be there from both sides. You know, it has to be a place you want to work and they want you to work. Um, you know, I've in many cases had candidates and the CEO will say to me, like, just close them, like, just fucking get them. You know, we need them. And I can tell that they're just not that into the company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not. So they're like, I don't care how much money costs, like throw 50 grand on top of the offer, whatever it is. And I'm saying I can, I can do that, but they're going to be gone in nine months. There's just no chance. It's a long term. That attraction is not there. It has to be 
kind of a both ways thing. Um, and again, especially with these, with like the, your, your top tier of people, they're not going to work somewhere where they're not getting that kind of like, um, identity kind of cloak from the, from the company and they can't be proud of it and go out and tell their friends that's where they're working and, you know, be, um, excited about, and it's not necessarily mission, right? It doesn't have to be that we're doing something good for the world. Like how much bullshit have we seen from every fucking company saying we're building ad tech, like we're making the world a better place. Like, right. all right. Calm, you know, enough. Calm down. Calm down. You're not. <laughs> You're like, not. But most of us aren't. It's yeah. okay. It's not yeah. about that. It's about yeah. we're a good company. We're making a product that we think is valuable for this reason. We treat our employees well. You know, we um, the benefits are incredibly important. Again, especially with the the if you're attracting, trying to attract that, that tier of employee, like health insurance and 401ks and like that kind of stuff so that people will take the leap to a startup. Um, I think that having that kind of identity aspect of, of a company is, is the most important thing. And it creates that kind of magnet effect. Mm -hmm. Um, and even I've been working now with, I worked at Mapbox, which was very easy to recruit for relative because Mapbox had an identity. It had a very strong kind of online presence. We had a great blog. We had great folks on Twitter. We had a beautiful website with incredible design by our friend Tatiana. You know, we had all kinds of, of content and resources. And now I'm working with a lot of companies that have none of that. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just tiny companies with nothing to go off of. So you got to start from scratch. But I, you know, I say all you need is a simple landing page with like a little explainer on your company. All you need is a little, like a simple careers page saying, this is who we are. This is what we value. This is what we're looking for. You know, it doesn't have to be rocket science and it doesn't have to be expensive. Right. It just has to be honest. The expensive piece is so key because like, I mean, that's one thing that I have worked on since I started working here. Um, it's just like, how can we increase our brand awareness? You know, there's such an opportunity for us to, you know, even if we're not actively recruiting, we can passively recruit and it's very cheap. We can do it on Instagram. We can do it on Twitter. We can do it in so many different ways. And so how can we kind of showcase this? This podcast itself is going to be part of our like, you know, passive recruitment efforts. Sure. And then like, look at, look at all the stuff that we can do here. And as like someone in this particular role, you know, I can learn from someone else. I can invite people in and then we can just, you know, use, uh, find opportunities to hear lessons learned from other professionals out there. So no, that's awesome. Well, the more you're doing that, the more you're, the more you're doing kind of the passive aspects of it and contributing to building and contributing your company culture. That is the magnet. Yep. You're building the magnet. And the more you do that, the more people will come to you. Mm -hmm. I've also seen some executives and read about some executives who, you know, they just want the people that they can poach. They love the poach. <laughs> they right? love the kill. They love it. <laughs> I just want to, I want to get that person from mm -hmm. that company. And when people are coming in their front doors or applying for jobs, that's somehow seen as less interesting or valuable, to which I'm saying that that was free. And yes. I spent zero minutes on that person applying here. And also that attraction question, back to that like romantic analogy, right? Like if they're applying to you, in nine times out of 10, that, that means something. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's easy these days with kind of the click to apply thing that can be a, you know, a challenging part of recruiting. But in a lot of cases, if you have a good application process that actually you can weed through people by asking for some simple information up front or seeing if they follow directions on the application, you know, they're applying because they... They, they looked at your company for a couple minutes at least and thought about it. And if they wrote a cover letter that's at all, you know, interesting, then holy shit, you're halfway there. Like battle's half won. So I think, um, you know, building those kind of cultural, internal identity aspects of a company, it's really easy to ignore. Mm -hmm. And this is seg segueing to our next topic, which I'm just going to invent right here. Um, you know, a lot of CEOs don't, some CEOs don't care about that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's fine but they have to deputize somebody to care. 
mm-hmm. at the high level. It's, if there's not an executive at the company who cares deeply about culture and recruiting, God bless you, good luck. I don't know. You know, it's not something you can just hand down to a recruiting manager mm-hmm. and say, make this happen, because it needs to be both the recruiting and the company pieces of it, the people pieces of it need to be really, really important. Mm-hmm. And the I really, I have tough conversations all the time with people who work for companies who just not, don't care about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. or just not seen as, as important as I think it is. Now, granted, this is my life. You know, I think about this stuff 24 seven, but I, I do believe I've seen companies succeed and fail. I've, you know, we're the ones, Katie, people come to our offices to cry, yeah. right? Like when things aren't going well, we're the ones who, who are on the front lines of that. So I, I know how important it is. And again, with those people for whom work is a huge part of their self-identity, they're the ones that we want, right? They're the people who are going to change your company's trajectory and add incredible value. And those are the people that need to be working for someone who's going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth his weight in gold. Um, and it, you know, it's just such an important part of our lives. We work all the time. All the time. And, it's, uh, and if we're not at work, we're thinking about work yes. or we're still logged into work and we're checking Slack and we're checking our text messages. So one thing, too, that I wanted to touch on there, because you brought up Mapbox again. And I think that the most amazing thing about Mapbox was that culture was not just our team. It was so much broader than that. Yeah. And I think that's one thing, too, to think about is that you can't just bring one person in to lead the culture of a company. And, you know, we see a lot. Of, I mean, I see a lot of like op- like job opportunities out there that says like, you know, people and culture or head of people and culture or, or talent and culture. And it's like it's so much more than that. Right. It's like, sure, there's that wrangler and there's that person that can make sure that everything stays on track. But overall culture has to be a team effort too. And so so when you're talking about culture fit or, you know, which is a really loaded term in the recruitment world, you know, you're, you're really talking about the same thing that you said, like, what is the culture that we set out there and how does this person identify with what we find important and what we value here? And so, um, you know, when you're hiring people that all value very, very similar things, it's going to help to push that the greatest part of those culture cultural pieces and sometimes not so great pieces along too. Well, and let's talk about that third rail of the culture fit question, mm-hmm. right? Because it's it's not and it shouldn't be. And again, if it is, stop. Yeah. You know, we're all Democrats or progressives or we're all uh, workaholics mm-hmm. or we're all, you know, hipsters yeah. or, or the kind of like the subtext mm-hmm. of what a lot of people hear. And that's how you get companies that hire a head of diversity and inclusion and they're given the mandate to make the company diverse. And if it's not a united <laughs> effort from the top, again, right. you, you end up with exactly. this hollow bullshit mm-hmm. culture stuff. Yep. What is a good company culture? It talks about your the way that you work, right? Like at, at Mapbox, we write things down. That was the most important aspect of culture at Mapbox that I took from it. Same. Communication, hands down. Yep. Everyone works faster, better with effective communication. And one of the first things I remember reading on the wiki and the wiki, I'm the thing that I miss most about Mapbox is, is the, is GitHub as a centralized communication tool and the wiki, like having everything written down is invaluable. And I'm trying to get that up and running at my companies and now, um, but it's harder when you don't start from day one. Agreed. Um, but in my, the thing I most remember reading from Mapbox was, a, the, the communication is really important to us. Here's good communication. Here's bad communication. Bad communication is, hi, Katie, your meeting is all set. See you next week. Here's good communication. Hi, Katie, 
at Katie. Your meeting on Monday, September 22nd at 4 p.m. is all set. The location is this. Link, link. Here's the person you're meeting. Thanks so much. Let me know if you have any questions. Catherine, here's my phone number. The, the clarity, the taking the time out of your life to communicate clearly to save you time. Yep. That's what it's all. It's about respect, actually. It was. Now that I'm thinking about it. It was. It was respect and time. And I had never worked at a place that did have that it, up until that point, like just like, such a focus on respecting time. Yeah. Like any, like I could tell you like so many meetings that I'd been in in previous jobs where I just like, I would up and walk out if someone was 10 minutes late. Cause it was just like, no one's here. So I'm leaving. Like, this right. is ridiculous. I just wasted 10 minutes of my time right. just sitting and waiting, not to mention the prep that I had for it. And so I miss that. I do miss that, um, that particular element. So as far as bringing up those pieces and I think setting that as a standard during onboarding. Mm-hmm. It's like, and even beforehand, you know, in talking. So actually this brings us to a good point. So say again that you're talking to someone who is a new CEO, a new founder or something like that, and they're struggling with the recruitment process. What do you think is the most important question for them to ask prospective candidates when they come in the door or even just come into their email? What do they, what should they really focus on in those first conversations? Yeah, I think, so what I try to work with people on is understanding not, it's not about, people often think it's a job and they have a job title in their heads. They say, I need a DevOps engineer or I need a product manager. So I try to sit down with them and say, what work do you need done? Get a pen, get a piece of paper. I you know So get them to talk about, I need someone to, take the product and write the JIRA tickets and coordinate with my, with Joseph, you know, very specific detailed things about what you need done. And to start with that and get agreement on that amongst the people who are, who are hiring and then write a job description from there and write a a good non-canned, non-shitty boilerplate job description. Um, Then I think working with them to, understand who's making the decision. The, you know, the, the thing I see happen most often is just the paralysis of, we don't know who we're looking for exactly. We get three good people who come in the door. We, we like them all. We don't know what we want them to do. We've lost sight of what we need done. And we have three different opinions because we have three different, we have three people on the hiring team or whatever. So clarifying what you need done, clarifying who's making the decision, and then clarifying the process, which is also a good legal practice to have, which is making sure that each candidate is going through the same process. Like no candidate's getting extra homework, no candidate's getting an extra coffee, everyone's getting the same process. Um, And in that aspect of it, then we sit down and write the questions. Um, My favorite question for a startup is for the candidate to be asked in their second or third interview after they've had time to get an intro and to think about it, hopefully, what do you imagine a day in the life of this job is like? And then you get them to talk about it. And hopefully they're, they're thinking about what it's like to work at your startup and saying, well, I'd imagine that it's a little chaotic and that it's a little uncertain at times, but that I'd be doing X, Y, and Z. And then maybe the best answers, you know, someone didn't show up, so I have to order lunch. And then, you know, in the afternoon, I get to sit in on a meeting with the CEO and that's like super exciting. And that's really what I'm excited about with the startup is that it's flat and then I'll get access to stuff that normally I wouldn't be invited to. 
Um, and then I, you know, I'd go home at five and then I'd work a little bit at night cause I'm just excited about the job or something like that. So, you know, asking, that's asking for empathy, right? That's asking for them to have put themselves in the shoes of the startup and the company. And it, it gets whether or not they've actually thought about it at all, or if it's just another kind of interview that they're rolling into. Um, but that's become my favorite question. And then, you know, the, the hardest part in hiring for often technical roles is how do you deduce whether or not people have the technical skills that you need? Um, so what I've, I'm working a lot more these days with hardware, mechanical engineers, chemical engineers, nanomaterials, rather than computer science and software, but is giving people, um, having people come in for the in-person interview and having some technical um, adjudication happen there, but giving the people all the material ahead of time. So saying you're going to come in on Thursday at four, here's who you're going to meet, here's what we're going to ask you to do. So that's not, you know, we've gone through the years of seeing that whiteboarding sucks for half <laughs> of the great people that you want to hire. It's not a good reflection of the work that we're going to ask you to do. You know, no one's job, thank God, involves a stand-up live testing, right? Unless you're in law school. So, you know, for most people, it's to give them the material. Say, we're gonna, this is what we're going to ask you to do on Thursday. Like, think about it before you come in, and then we'll do it together. So I think that's a really good way to get technical. That's a better way to try to ascertain technical skills than the kind of do a live aspect. Um, but overall, yes, defining actually what work needs to be done, defining who's going to make the decision, and then having like set process, set a set process of questions and, and putting the candidates through all the same process. Um, it might be slow going at first, but once you get people up and running, um, it gets them in a good, like that's a healthy recruiting process to have. So you want to get that going from the beginning. Um, the other thing I harp on, like a, a I don't know, a harpy wife. <laughs> <laughs> used to be one of those, um, <laughs> is um, that you have to always be recruiting. Mm -hmm. And again, hopefully it's the CEO. If it's not, it's got to be some executive at, at a high level. You have to be always thinking about people. And recruiting is not, everyone thinks that it's like, oh shit, my mobile engineer just quit. I'm going to post a job. I'm going to open the door. And there's the line of mobile engineers. Like, cool. I'm going to hire one of them and then I'm going to close the door. And that's in a year, I'm going to, that's going to happen again, right? It doesn't work that way, especially in software engineering, as we've discussed, but it also shouldn't work that way anyway, because the best people aren't just, they're not standing outside and they're also not, you know, the people, again, with the romantic attraction, the people that you want to work for your company, you want to build that kind of warm affection over the course of years. So I always, I try to tell my CEOs, like however big your company is, if, if your company is 20 people, you need to have like 20% of that number. You need to have warm in your pocket. People that you know, people that you've met, you go to meetups, you know people, you have coffees with people, their resumes, like just keep a Excel spreadsheet, keep a Google Doc, something, names and numbers of people that you like and reach out to them once a quarter, give, give them, well, give them to me, you know, and I'll keep the relationship warm or, or have a VP people who can help you with that. But having warm relationships and working on ways for your company to have warm relationships with people is what I would say is my, like the best piece of advice I have learned and can offer. Um, I'm having lunch tomorrow with a woman that I think my company should hire in like 2022. Mm. But I reached out to her on LinkedIn and said, hi, you are great. Um, my, I work for this VC firm. I don't, we don't have a role right now, but if you're ever interested in talking, I'd love to have lunch. And we met for coffee four months ago. And then I put a calendar invite and we're having lunch tomorrow. I have no job for her. She is super flattered by the interest. 
Like no one's going to be pissed off when you reach out to them and say, Hey, you look great. Can we talk? I don't have a job for you, but let's just talk. Like, let's be, let's be friends. Like it, it rarely goes, I haven't had it go wrong yet. Um, people don't reply sometimes, but that's fine. Um, and for the most part, you know, you just need a discretionary budget of 200 bucks a month on coffee and you can build a really strong, warm, uh, talent pool. And then are there other ways you can build a warm talent pool? So, uh, on our website on anzupartners.com, um, there's a resume drop. So it's really easy. Awesome. I just built it into, and one of my colleagues helped me build it into a, a, just a simple, one of the problems with resumes is that they're PDFs, which are really hard to machine read, you know. Greenhouse has been doing a decent job of parsing them and other companies, who that's all they do. But for a, a non-software firm dedicated to that, it's really hard to parse PDFs. So it just, I have a couple like um, defined questions that people ask and then you drop your resume. So I get it into an Airtable with like location and phone number and email address and da, da, da. Um, so that way we have people who are coming in and just giving us their resume to hang on to. And that way I can keyword search kind of their education or their skill sets or their former employees whenever we're looking. So if we need to hire, I go to that first. And I say, here's three people that are in our orbit that we can reach out to. Um, And we're thinking about what can we do with these people and these resumes also. And, you know, should we be doing a hackathon? Should we be doing a, we have happy hours a lot. So we did happy hours in Atlanta and Boston and um Chicago this year, you know, just things like that, like spend a thousand dollars on have a happy hour and invite people. And again, there's just no, there's no job on the, on the end of the stick, but it's just a relationship. And most people love networking or they don't love networking. They understand the value of networking and they'll take a, you know, an appetizer and a drink. Um, so that's been effective for us. I recommend doing things like that. I recommend, um, keeping track of all those warm relationships you have, like putting it into a spreadsheet, um, and having some sort of way to go back to that when you need to hire, um, especially if you're the executive side. That's awesome. Um, as far as keeping employees, like when you're talking about a very cash yeah. strapped, yeah. you know, VC backed startup here, especially like in the DC area where, you know, we have some big fish coming in, especially with Amazon coming in pretty soon. What are some tips that you have as far as attain, like keeping people happy? I think the Amazon thing is going to be good for all of us. I think it's the same question of, you know, a, a busy street with 10 restaurants does better than a quiet street with one restaurant. Um, I think they're going to, well, they're going to hopefully drive up our salaries. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> one can hope, right? <laughs> Cross the board. <laughs> you get a raise. You get a raise. Well, also Amazon sucks at retaining people. So they're going to attract a lot of people, I think, to move here, drive up our home values, and then people will leave Amazon, I think. I don't know, but that's my guess. You know, a lot of people, Amazon has a reputation, deserved or not. And they're too big a company to have to stereotype, of course. But at, at the, you know, director level or higher, they have a reputation for burning people out. Um, so I think that they will attract people. They will pay people well. People will then be living in our area and looking for work if they decide to leave Amazon. So I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, the thing about retention is that it's the, it it correlates exactly with what we were already talking about, about company culture. And what I was talking about with kind of the best people and the people that you want to have, they're not going to stick around if you don't have a good company culture and you're not taking care of your people. So it's all the same it's all the same equation. There's no other special magic. Um, one of the things that I don't think we talk about enough with respect to retention is that if you want to retain people, you need to fire people. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big proponent of, of firing people and firing people quickly. Um, I think that if 
the the best people, the good, even the you know people who are just doing a good job, but you really want to keep, if there's someone who they're dragging along behind them, that's incredibly demoralizing. And if if you're sending a message by through inaction by letting people half-ass it and keeping them on your team, the message you're sending is this is fine, and that I don't respect your time because you're spending half your day dragging that person behind you. So I'm a huge proponent of of letting people go, letting them go sooner and giving them more severance, like giving them a bigger package. Just do it quickly. Because if you wait four months until you want to murder them, you're going to feel stingy and you're going to say, no, we're giving them two weeks or whatever. Um, so I think do it quick. I think it's better for the team. A lot of people, and it, especially in small companies and startups, if you've got eight people and you fire one person, a lot of executives panic about that because they think, what message am I sending? People are going to think they're next this person is a good person to have around. Like they make cookies or they, you know, take out the trash or they're, they're nice, right? What it, people are going to miss that too much. And at the end of the day, it's, if they're not shipping quality work, then it's doing damage to the team. And you need to give people, you need to be clear with people about that. You need to put them in a chair and tell them that you're not meeting our expectations. And here's what we write, write down what you need them to be doing and say, I need you to work on this. And you need to do the whole PIP thing, right? You need, to, you need to give them that conversation before you're ready to fire them. If you're ready to fire them before you have that conversation, you have fucked up as a manager mm-hmm. and you've done a disservice to everyone on your team. So as soon, and that's good management, right? That's a whole nother discussion. But if, if you're having trouble with somebody, you need to sit them down immediately. What does Brene Brown say? Clarity is... Something about, you know, being clear with people, that's clarity is compassion, I think is what she says. Like being clear with people, having those awkward conversations, having those difficult conversations, that's compassionate. Mm -hmm. Not telling people that they're doing a bad job is cowardly and it's, it's damaging to your team. And it's also just damaging to the person in the future because they'll never know what they did wrong. Right. If it's not clear to them. Right. What they did wrong from the forefront. So I, I agree. Yeah. So have those conversations and if they're not, and then if people don't improve, you, I, I say you've got to, you got to cut people, give them generous packages, extend their, pay for their health insurance for three months, you know, be generous, be helpful, um, but get them off the team. Um, so that's what like retention, if people get freaked out, I think about like retention rates, like it should be 10%. Like you want, if you're not firing anybody, you're not doing it right. I, I don't think. And people will also leave your team. Like it's not the end of the world. People will resign. People will move. People will take more money elsewhere. It is what it is. But, you know, you want to have a healthy turnover. Um, And then I think that the way you keep people is by giving people the impression that, not the impression, the feeling that they are, I say this all the time, they're on the varsity team. Mm -hmm. Like the best people want to play varsity. They don't want to play JV bullshit. They want to be on a team where they are, why are these all sports metaphors? rowing together was one that used to pop up at Mapbox. We're rowing together. We're running together. Like dancing. Dancing together. That was a big one. <laughs> Not all sports. No. Dance is a sport. Dance is a sport. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> but really, they want to be on, like, the, I, the varsity team is, like, the best thing I can always think of. And what that means is that people are, cl- their expectations are clear. They're executing at a high level. Those people who care about work are going home at the end of the night and saying, like, I got it today. I did a good job. I feel really good about myself. And that's because I'm that kind of person for better or for worse. You know, if I don't have a good day at work, then I, I don't feel good about myself. 
And if I don't work hard, I don't feel good about myself. I don't know if that's healthy or not, but that's just my truth. Um, and I know a lot of people are like that mm-hmm. in our mm-hmm. screwy little orbit. Yeah. Well, we're about at time already. Really? Yes. I, that's so great. I know. It's so awesome. I hope this is not the first time that you're going to be in here. That's to so do sweet. This. We'll see what the, uh, what the audio guy says about how much I rocked in my chair and messed up. At things. least you didn't, you didn't <laughs> sneeze in it. So, um, thank you so much, Catherine. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank and you so much. And yeah, hope to have you back soon. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.